listening to ASI. This is episode 150, Law. And here's the deal. It's like I know law. I know what I ought to do. I know what I should do. But I have not the motivation to pull it off. As a matter of fact, I have a desire, a yearning, a right deep in my bones to do the exact opposite. And I do. I do the exact opposite of what I don't want to do. That's why people go into recovery, for God's sake. The Law, that is a song that totally reminds me of my past and a past attitude that I had it was kind of an anthem, a mantra that was in my heart at the time and I fought the law. It was like an anthem of the forsaken because that's how I felt in my heart when I had you know, this, this past old me back in the 80s when I was a drug dealer, when I had quit school, right? When most kids were out, you know, graduating from high school and looking at colleges, I was sitting in coffee shops meeting with drug dealers trying to advance my career in trafficking cocaine and marijuana. This is this was my life at the time. So I'm so thankful for the grace of God that I'm not there anymore. Because listen, I fought the law, right? I did this, I fought the law and the law won, all right? Here's a cover for you from the band The Clash. It's another punk band from the 80s. Love this, uh, love this tune. Here you go. Law and the law won indeed. Reality. Reality meets the uh, breaking the law attitude of the forsaken. And as a kid without a firm concept of grace, I just started to think of because what, basically what I learned was this moralistic deism that I've got to be good, I've got to be better, I've got to try harder. And there is some truth to that, but why? 
right? Why do you want to be better? Why do you want to do your best? Why do you want to be better? Why? I mean, that's a big part of it. So I, I heard this stuff about, you know, repenting of sin and stop doing the bad things and start doing the good things. And I just, you know, I, I kept failing. I kept falling and I kept, you know, doing the wrong things and just asking God for forgiveness. And, you know, the altar call, they did the kind of altar call at churches I went to growing up. And I got, you know, I went got saved like three times. And every every time I'd be like, all right, now I'm cleansed of my sin, right? So I'm not going to sin anymore. And then, boom, there I am sinning, right? What the heck is wrong with me? So I just started to lose faith in that kind of... And that was the gospel that I was given. And, and it's not the gospel of the, the Bible. It wasn't a gospel at all. It was just works-based religion that says do the law be better then your life will go good well I can't do the law I can't do it man I've tried over and over and over and I kept failing so I started to right look into some of my past and just just barely peek into some of the darkness in my past and think about you know I learned some pretty horrible lessons. I don't know how to do all of this, and I don't know how to do my life properly. I remember lighting my my life on fire, basically, and just doing totally the wrong thing, taking a handful of pills at a party, and you know, party on, man, and not even knowing if I would see the next day. Passing out drunk. I remember being at parties, drinking mass amounts of alcohol and then waking up in my bed with my car out in front of my house like I, I drove home I don't even remember driving home I was so drunk I mean these are things I was do I didn't know how to I was my own worst enemy I thought I was gonna die I didn't know how to stop so I would get to these points of despair or you know when places where, where I busted everything up like I'm living with the consequences. My ass is sitting in jail and I'm going, all right, you know, what What do I do? And just not really surrendering my heart, but returning back to religion, which was just, you know, my utmost for his highest and just adding more things to do to the list that weren't working. And I just knew they weren't working. So I started getting a distorted, retarded view of God. And I didn't want, you know, I just thought it was cruel, right? You give me these things to do, I can't do them, and you, it's almost like you're laughing at the fact that I can't do them, and that's how I felt about God. I had this kind of attitude towards Him. This song so resonated with my heart in a place that I, I was emotionally with my relationship with God, sadly, because of the false gospel of religion. This is how I started to view God. There you go. No, I can't take one more step towards you. Cause all that's waiting is regret. And don't you know I'm not your ghost anymore? You lost the love I love the most.
And that right there, as much as it pains me to admit it, was my attitude and my heart towards the God of the Bible. I was like, is this my life that I would screw up really bad and then come back to you hoping that you would fix it or you would give me something or that, you know, I would just be given more laws and shoulds and ought tos that I already couldn't do in the first place. Is that the Christian life? Is that who the God of the Bible is? I just thought, who do you think you are? I had the attitude towards him, man, and I just started to walk away. And then September 11th happened, right? I live in Seattle. I mean, I'm as far away from New York as you can be on, on this map called the United States, you know? But September 11th happened. 11th happened and you know I already had this heart going in that direction and I started thinking about all the people that just you know they just showed up for work man they're just trying to feed their families you know I didn't sign up for my life and that was a big thing too like who do you think you are I didn't sign up for this I didn't sign up for the things that happened to me as a kid as much as it pained me to look at it. And then I had a superficial cover that I put over it, which was that I'm a winner anyway, right? Like, I'm a great guy, and I got self-confidence. I'm a good person, right? you know? That's why I thought about myself. Not wanting to look at the sins committed against me of the past. That I, you know, I just totally swallowed down this victim pathology as some psychologists would call it just totally saw myself in the mode of I can't change this is who I am I'm stuck like this because of you right pointing outward parents you know are playing the blame game sexual abuse yes I was a victim that is true but what you do with that determines the course of your life. And at that point in my life, I started, I started looking at other religions. So I thought, well, you know, maybe the God of the Bible is wrong. Who knows, right? I thought, I started looking into Hinduism and Buddhism and all sorts of different isms, you know. The Oprah-ism, you know, the, the kind of God is just whatever God you pick. God is love, baby, you know. It's just... Rob Bell, love wins kind of a thing. I, I agree that love wins, but not the way Rob Bell talks about it. It's kind of vague spirituality where, you, you know, the, the God of the universe, the God that created everything, the God that created the world, the God that knows me, just, you know, is love, just benign, kind of just gushy love. We have it built in us as human beings to see justice served, all right? I'm going to talk about this for a minute, right? Because I've been asked about this for a while now since the book came out. And, you know, what do you think of Love Wins? And I, I haven't read it, all right? But I've listened to a lot of Rob Bell's talks on it. I watched a bunch of YouTube videos of him, you know, pumping the book and 
critics and people who've talked about it, but not just the critics, but interviews with him on the subject, and it's just, it's just universalist kind of vague spirituality. He's just wrong when he says, you know, things like, oh, it's just whatever you choose. It's like the Rob Bells and the Oprahs of the world just want to make up this postmodern God that makes me feel better about myself so I can be a whole person, right? All right, I felt this in my bones. Like there's stuff I'm doing that's just plain wrong and I want to stop because there will be consequences if I don't. Tell you a little story about a guy named... Uh, you may have heard this. This was in the news a while back. Uh, the Monetary Fund Chief, Dominic Strauss-Kane. Um, this guy was a contender to be the president of France. This guy was wealthy, well-to-do, and basically probably grew into his own system of beliefs and doctrine, right? All right, that's doctrine. The thing, the system that you live your life by. So... Dominic, uh, he has his own doctrine, right? And he checks into a hotel in Manhattan and decides to allegedly rape uh, a maid. He's brought up on charges. She's freaking out, crying, this man raped me. And him, thinking that he's got all this money and power and success, th thought he was above the law. He was not above the law. And he was arrested. And, you know, he no, he didn't get convicted, but his political career never, ever recovered from that because of his arrest in New York City. Even though there is diplomatic immunity, they did not let him leave the country. They knew he was a huge flight risk. They kept him in jail as long as they could before the trial. And see... That's part of, of the United States, and one thing I love about the United States, and one thing I love about our country, is that we elect people, and we elect representatives, and we elect a president, and because the people that we elect, because the country loves its people, there are laws, right? Now think about this, there, there are laws, in front of the courthouse building in Everett, Washington, and I've said this before, I'll repeat it for uh <laughs> make my point here, um, there is a sculpture of the Ten Commandments. And lawyers have tried to pull this down, and atheist groups come out, oh, separation of church and state, right? And the lawyers are always able to shoot it down because they say it's a represent, it's an image that represents the law. And then they've said this, which I thought was brilliant. Should we take down Lady Justice as well? This is a piece of Roman um, religion, right? Ancient Greek god Justitius or something like that, I believe her name is. That's where we get the word justice. She's holding two scales. You've probably seen this before in courthouses, in courtrooms, all over the world. This has become uh, an icon of, of justice. And it's basically a woman holding two scales in her hand. She's usually blindfolded. And this happened in the 15th century, the blindfold thing. And what it basically represents is the blind justice, right? Looking at the facts, looking at the evidence, weighing out what is right and what is wrong and dispensing justice accordingly. 
That is what Lady Justice is. That is the image of Lady Justice, that the scales would weigh out the evidence and that the law, if it has been broken, justice would be dispensed. This is part of love. All right. Yes, in my book, if I was to write a book, to, to, you know, like Erasmus and, and Martin Luther to Rob Bell, I would write the book. Yeah, love wins violently. And that's good news. It's not good news if you want a, a God who's just going to write you a blank check and let you out of jail every time you do something evil. That's not good news if you think that way. But that's not reality. There is consequences for what we do. Thank God, right? Thank God that rapists and murderers just don't run down the street every day. And I believe God, our creator, has put this in the hearts of men especially. To see justice dispensed. You know, there's something about boys that's just violent, you know? You give you know, these passive parents, like, I'm not going to let my kids play with guns. All right, they'll fashion a gun out of a stick. You know, it's just in our hearts. Why do you think men love football, right? Why do men love boxing or MMA? It's because there's something in us that wants to push back what is dark and wrong and cold, you know, wants to push back against something that injures or is an assault to our own doctrine. Right? I have my sense of right and wrong and what is good, and that out there is cold, evil, and wrong. I'm going to fight against that. That's why it's so important to take a good, hard look at your doctrine, how you're living your life. So there's the do's and don'ts. I hope you see this. I, you know, Get a firm grip of this in your mind. There's the do's, the, the do's and don'ts and the shoulds and ought to's and the things that we keep, right? And then there are, there's our attitude behind those things that help propel our life forward. I like to constantly remind people to get out of your head and into your heart. Realize that you have a, a motor running inside of you that's thirsty for fuel. First Timothy in the Bible, chapter 4, ends with, Watch your doctrine and life closely. Right? Preserve them. Because if you do, you'll save yourself and the people that listen to you, right? The people that hear you. What are you going to put in the tank? Who are the bad guys and who are the good guys? This is a, a big part of it. Justice is a part of love. I heard a comedian talking about, you know, this kind of Rob Bellish religious worldview. And he was saying that, yeah, there's, you know, Kim Jong-il is up in heaven with Hitler and Lenin, and they're all high-fiving each other going, woohoo, this forgiveness thing is awesome, isn't it? Like, seriously, is that your worldview? It's not, it's not the God of the Bible. And, you know, it's this weird spiritual weight to different social groups. And... Can I tell you something? I've been around and rubbed shoulders with, again, some dark people. I don't know who Rob Bell has hung around in his life, but I've been in rooms where I was in a situation where there's a, a pile of cocaine on, on this guy's dining room table, right? And there's guys there that were wearing suits and carrying guns, and I was meeting him for the first time, and you just knew. You know, it's like weird spiritual weight. I just knew in my knower that 
this meeting could go bad, right? Like, these guys know me now, and they wouldn't think twice about putting a bullet in my head, stuffing me in the trunk of their car, and feeding me to the pigs in some farm out, you know, in the country somewhere. They wouldn't think twice about that. I mean, there's dark hearts, and oh, well, they're just hurt, and they've just learned a way to survive, and you don't know their whole story, Russ. I know, and you know what? I have a dark story. I have a not a totally rosy childhood, all right? But what you choose to do, choose to embrace the evil that was done to you by doing more evil, or do you commit to change? It's like that, that TV show I saw where the, the two guys... Um, there's two men who were raped by a Catholic priest and they grow up and one guy's a cop and he ends up arresting the other guy that was in the same parish with him. He was an altar boy in the same, you know, church. And they recognized each other. One man decided to, you know, push back what was evil and dark in the world by becoming a police officer. The other one embraced it. The other one got down with his sickness, right? Chose to embrace the darkness in his soul. There was a guy who was uh, executed. And he sat there on, and they asked him, if he, he, hey, you can say a few words if you want before they executed him. You know what he said? He was like, F God, F love, F my whole family. And to my victims, you deserved it. And I would do it again. And they put the guy to death. That was his last words in his life. You think a guy like that, Rob Bell, you think that guy's going to go to heaven? That guy's fine. Oh, yeah. It's just, he'll come around. <laughs> Seriously? You do not know the freaking, the evil in this world. There are some evil freaking people. There just is. And, you know, it's easy to measure ourselves against the serial killers, right? Against murderers or rapists or the Strauss Canes of the world, right? But what about the sins that we all commit that, you know, these other parts of the law? I mean, sexual addiction, right? Some of it's just consensual, casual sex, if there is such a thing. What about my friend with benefits that I've got over here? You know, and maybe you're listening because you realize that that doesn't really work long term. The heart always gets involved when your genitals become, right, aligned for long periods of time. We're spiritual beings, man. That's just the truth. So what about those other parts of the law? So you have this self-help movement, right? And I think a lot of this postmodernism as we see it today in the 20th, 21st century now, you know, I mean, it's nothing new, postmodernism, this kind of vague spirituality. It's been around for thousands of years. Just every few hundred years, it gets packaged and presented in a different way. And now we call it postmodernism. And I think some of the evolution of that has to do with, honestly, some of that 12-step movement. I mean, that can be some of the that in Eastern philosophies, the world has become smaller, right? Because of the internet. I have a friend that I chat with, you know, in the morning every so often. He does a great little blog on, on Facebook. I've subscribed to it. And he's a pastor. He's a reverend in Africa, right? I mean, you just like, just there. I mean, he's just, boom, he's right there in my uh, computer. I open it up. 
I'm talking to a pastor in Africa. So the world's gotten smaller. You know, some of this yin-yang and the Eastern philosophies of, you know, I've got good and i got evil in me. I just need to live with it, you know. And then there's, again, the 12-step movement that became in the 60s this kind of um, spurring on the self-help movement, which was up with people, you know. I mean, I could do a whole show on that. I probably will. A history of, of the 12-step movement. Some of it's good and some of it just kind of grew retarded like a, a sick plant, right? So, yeah, you know, in the 12-step movement, there's this philosophy that is, I'm an addict, right? You sit in a meeting, my name's Russia, I'm an addict, you know, and everybody identifies with their addiction, and it's, again, it's part of that kind of yin-yang philosophy where, okay, I got this evil in me, but the good in me is, you know, fighting the evil, but I'm still evil. I got, and that's, some of that's true. Some of that is theologically correct. But when we choose to just kind of live with our addiction instead of fighting it, then things get, you know, jacked up. And I think for a lot of this, some of this is perseverance. The Bible speaks a lot about perseverance. The book of Proverbs, Peter, talking about going through fiery trials and the trials of life, talks about perseverance. Some of us, we just want to quit too easy. We've created habits of quitting. That was me. I quit on everything I did. I'd start something. I'd be all excited about it. I'd get bored with it and quit. The pattern of my life. So in recovery, you know, I just get frustrated. And, I can't do this and quit. And what we usually adopt in those times when we quit is a, a change in our, you know, doctrine. I love what David Pallison said, Dr. Pallison, at, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, at CCEF. He said, uh, the opposite of resolute is fickle, you know. People are going to make New Year's resolutions and they're going to create a new law, right? Like, this doctrine over here wasn't working for me, so I quit on it. So I'm going to create a new law for myself around January 1, and that's a resolution. I'm going to stick to it. And, you know, statistically, we know that that usually doesn't happen. It's because that law that we produce for ourselves is just... You know, it's just another superficial, fickle attitude that we've adopted that doesn't go deep enough to create real heart change. The law, Russ, the rules, aren't laws meant to be broken? Well, we'll get into that a little bit here. Check this out. I love this. I love that this is actually in the Bible. It gives me a lot of hope. The Apostle Paul was a thought this way. I relate. Check this out. It's like I said a few shows back. The word addiction doesn't exist in the Bible, but the word slavery does multiple times. We all have this thirsty heart that is going to feed, right? That's, that's the spiritual life. That's the reality of theology that we will worship. And check this out. This stuff was refreshing to me when I found it in the Bible. This is uh, Romans chapter 6. What then shall we say? This is starting in uh, verse 15. Yeah. 
What then shall we say? We sin because we are not under the law, but under grace. See, the law is, is there's, a, there's a new covenant that goes over that covenant, right? This is Romans 6, starting in verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you were wholeheartedly and obeyed the form of teaching which you were entrusted you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and every increasing wickedness. So now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. I love that because it's like, are you perfect? No. Are you a sin? Were you once a sin towards wickedness and increasing in being evil? Yeah. But now because of the covenant of grace, we are slaves to righteousness and that guilt thing that gets in the heart is not there to make you feel horrible about yourself. All right. That's worldly sin and guilt that leads to death the Bible says, it's there to convict and lead you to life. The reason you're not satisfied just doing these things, and it, you know, like I used to go and have these sexual encounters, and it was just like another shot glass of sand. I thought that my thirsty soul was going to be filled by that, and it wasn't long-term. And I just felt worse. And it's because my heart had become a slave to righteousness. People ask, Russ, when was your conversion? You know, was it at AC3 when you talked to Pastor Rick and Dan or, or was it when you were younger? And I, I really believe that it was probably when I was a kid and God has been following me the whole time. God has been after me the whole time. And while I walked away from my faith for a while and that's when things really got bad, I thought, you know, I'm just going to manage my sin. If that's what it is, you know, it's just this horrible thing that I do. I don't want to do, but I can't seem to stop. So I'm just going to try and manage it, which didn't work either. But anyway, I'll continue on because there's just also this part of the law where, you know, it's like if you tell me not to do something, then I'm more prone to do it just because you told me not to. You know, there's that thing in us that's like that. It's like childishness, you know. Don't think of the pink elephant. What did you just think of? The pink elephant. It's part of our nature, man. You tell me not to do something, I'm, I'm gonna I'm probably gonna do it. And this was another thing that was refreshing for me that's in the Bible. Check this out. This is uh, Romans 7. I challenge you to read this stuff, man. No, God never sent you an email. God doesn't do an instruction book. But part of the cool meta-narrative of understanding love and freedom are in this, this book, man. Something spiritual and real and life-giving happens when you open this book. And I challenge you to, to read it, man. Uh, Romans 6, 7, and 8. Check this out. This is from the ESV Bible. And I'm actually reading it from... Uh, an app on my phone. It's um, the Life TV Bible, I believe it's called. Bible app. It's actually free. I mean, this is an awesome time to be alive, isn't it? I mean, I can read the Bible. There's hundreds of translations right here in this app that I downloaded for free. 
thousands of man hours went into, you know, translating this, all these different translations, and I get it right, download it and read it for free. This is a, uh, this is from the ESV Bible, the English Standard Version, starting in verse four. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another. To him who has been risen from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This is verse 7, and I love this. This is, uh, is the law sin, right? Okay, so the law, which is stuff written down, don't think of the pink elephant, so boom, what pops into my mind? Uh, oh, right, you know. Don't covet, so what do I want to do? I want stuff that other people have. Anyway, it's, it's there for a reason, but he goes into it. I love this. Verse 7, what shall we say then, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. Verse 17, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the thing I want, but the evil I do not want, I keep on doing. This is the Apostle Paul, a guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He also, in, a, in another book of the Bible, calls himself the chief of sinners. All right. This guy is familiar with the law. This guy was a Pharisee. This guy was varsity in his behavior. But because of his wretched heart towards others, he saw himself as sinful. Realized he needed Jesus. Anyway, verse 23, verse 22, sorry. For I delight in the law in my inner being, right? In that inner life. Verse 23, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, verse 24, 
Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then chapter 8 starts like this. And here's the deal with the book of Romans. So the books of the Bible, these were letters that were written, all right? They didn't have chapters that was put in later. So he doesn't necessarily finish his thought when the next chapter starts, like in a, books we're used to. Um, verse 1 of Romans 8. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Angry. Freaking out, right? Anyway, continuing on. Um, verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells inside you. This is all theological reality to that thirst that is in our hearts, to this separation, the, the great divorce, as C.S. Lewis put it. We live in this in-between place between heaven and hell, and we're choosing sides. Our righteousness isn't going to happen overnight, and kicking addiction isn't going to just happen automatically, but that we're growing right? This is the law of grace. That's different than the law of works. The covenant, because God loves us. So it was in reading and opening my eyes and discovering truth like that, that I started to see that God wasn't, you know, this walking around with his jar of hearts, making more scars, right? That sin is, is something that's been released in the world and that God didn't make robots. He wants us to choose to love Him. He wants us to choose Him over drinking down things that we think are going to be the ultimate, right? My precious, as it says in the 
the Lord of the Rings, right? This this guy, the Hobbit is coming out soon, which is a prequel to the Lord of the Rings, and and yeah, that that guy's going to be in there too. Tolkien's great example of idolatry, addiction, holding on to something like it's it's ultimate, the precious, right? the creepiest voice ever. That guy. You are in submission to some form of law. That's what being honest is about. Going, my life isn't working right now. Man, it's one thing I love in the, the 12 steps. The, the first step is the one that I would I love the most because it's, the, it's a true reality of where you are at a certain point in time. Your addiction owns you, and you don't own it. That's where you are. Now let's find out why. Let's unpack that. And you can start to see what it is that you're actually living your life by. You can actually start to challenge the truth claims of your own Ten Commandments that you're, you've created for yourself. And that's why we're addicts. That's why I was totally jacked up and stubbornly sexually addicted because I had a set of laws that I obeyed man so when I say be honest I don't mean just stay angry that's not what I mean what I do mean is get out of what's in your heart right when it passes your lip gate and you actually talk about it in front of other people, there's a power and a strength to that. Because it's no longer just sitting inside you, you know, rotting like spoiled milk. See, if you have a rational mind that's not fueled by agenda, and you really think about it when it comes to your own coping skills and coping mechanism, You'll challenge the validity of that, right? Of this truth claim of postmodernism that God just loves everybody the same and that everybody's going to heaven. I mean, that's the point of love. We, we choose to love something. We, our hearts grow fond of it. Our hearts grow in the direction of loving something or someone. That's, what, that's the point. God didn't make robots. If he forced us to love him, it would no longer be love. I love what uh, Susan Huxima said at Yale. She's a professor at Yale, and she writes books that train clinical psychologists, okay? She's a world-renowned expert in the area of depression, um, anxiety, bipolar disorder. One of the things that she said that I found fascinating you have to challenge the truth claims of people who are, you know, hurting, who are emotionally hurting, who are, right, what's coming out of them isn't working in their life, and you have to get in and, and let them trust you and then, you know, unpack their coping mechanisms, the emotional reactions to life. And then challenge those truth claims. Is that true or not? Something that Dr. Phil, who's a, a TV psychologist here in the States, something that he says that I, I actually like and agree with, he'll say this, he'll say, how's that working for you? And it's almost like, boom, they hit the brakes and go, oh yeah, that's not working for me, is it? 
It's the same thing I've been doing that doesn't lead to joy in my life. I obeyed the, the little head. Uh, that's a big part of it. It's more than that. It's deeper than that. But, man, my penis was the, the thing I used to think with. I had to break that as a commandment and, and replace it with something better and real and true. So, anyway, I started getting some faith as a result of meeting with Pastor Rick and Dan, and I started to gain some, some faith, and I started to get in prayer and talk to him, meet with him, not just talk to him. There's something deeper about prayer than just saying some mantra, you know? Prayer can become mechanical, and it can become this just thing that we check off a list and it's not like that. You ever talk to somebody on the phone and you feel like, am I really meeting with this person on, a, on an emotional level or are we just chatting about nothing? Prayer is kind of like that. Getting to a place where I could meet with God and feel his presence as I talk to him. And even when I didn't feel his presence and sometimes I was just angry, I knew that, that he's listening that he loves me. It took me some time to get to where, you know, I could trust him. I still do, right? I'm still not totally entrusting God. I'm working. I'm way better than I was. But I'm learning to, to trust him more. But the biggest part, you know, number one for me was breaking that stubbornness and actually submitting to, to Jesus. That he is real. That all this other religions out there and all this other stuff out there was just more works-based, you know, or fluffy, God-distant. He's like the watchmaker that set things in motion and just doesn't care. That's not, that's not God. That I had been sinned against was another one. And that's, that's number two that I want to close the show out on it when it comes to the law that another part of Jesus covering the law is not just, you know, a lot of evangelicals and a lot of churches have taught that, yeah, Jesus takes away your sin. And this is something Pastor Mark brought up in the book, Death by Love. You get a chance to, to read that. I'll put it on the website. Uh, he, he, he talks about this where we, we love to say that, yeah, Jesus forgave me of my sin and and now I'm forgiven and I can walk in a new life because of this, the forgiveness and all that weight's been released and, and all that's great, yes, but what about the sins that have been committed against me? Okay, because I had attached that to God. I had, I had not trusted God. I had backed away from God. I wasn't gonna take one more step towards God because of the weight of the sins that had been committed against me that I felt. I'd been sinned against grievously. So what we do with that, usually, and the church has done with that, is run to a psychotherapist or a Christian counselor, which usually is a psychotherapist with a Bible. All right? They know more about psychology than they do theology, and so it's just a lot of more getting into your head and more do's and don'ts and shoulds and ought to's, more religion. 
just on a level two, you know, more stuff to read and things to do. And that's why I talked about the third commandment in vanity, you know, this superficial evangelical Christianity that's just like this club that people join and the Bible becomes this how-to book and verses are taken out of context. Man, I pray you find a church where the pastor like goes through whole books of the Bible. And that's important. You know why? Because you can't skip over the stuff you don't like if you do that. You've got to cover every verse. And they're going to be convicting for the pastors. It keeps them honest. You know, a lot of times the Bible is reduced down to another self-help manual. And it's vanity, man. It's just superficial religious garbage. That's why I'm, I don't use the word purity a lot. And yeah, and that's great for people to do. I just pray that purity isn't reducing down, cleansed, the, the spiritual reality of being cleansed down to, again, covering what Paul said, the, the, the old code, right? Purity doesn't come through the old code. Purity comes through Jesus Christ. All right, Jesus makes us pure. So going back to expiation, the reason that we go to the run to the psychotherapist instead of the church or the cross when it comes to the reality of the sins that are committed against us is that we don't see ourselves as pure and we feel defiled. Man, I walked around with the feeling of just dirty, defiled. I'm a piece of garbage inside. I hated my heart. I felt sick. I felt sinned against and defiled on the inside. And man, that was years of my life. Trying to either run from my past, ignore my past, minimize my past. So I never healed from it. I got off the drugs, I got off the alcohol by, you know, I had some counseling there and it was like just learning to feel better about myself. So I had a job, I was holding down a job. I, my, my wife was pregnant, I, I, I got this daughter, this beautiful daughter of mine, Alicia. I was like, oh, I had this little family. and So I started to walk in, in that, but I wasn't healed. I wasn't healed. I went from drinking myself drunk, you know, to blackout mode, right? to being a speed freak and doing coke and meth and addicted to that. I went from being addicted to those things to being addicted to porn. I thought it was a lesser, you know. I had no idea. No idea how bad that sexual addiction would get untreated. And I couldn't even put a finger on on how dirty I felt. And this was, a lot of this had to do with my sexual abuse. A lot of this has had to do with how I was groomed into that. And only the truth, the reality of the cross could cover that horrible lie that I believed. That little piece of impurity, right? You hear this with rape victims. Usually what happens when a woman is raped, what does she do? She takes a shower. 
You know, over and over again, if you read police reports on people who are sexually assaulted, that's what they say. What did you do? I went home, I took a shower. I just wanted to wash it off me. Okay, Jesus brings purity, and that's true and real. Jesus covers sin in that way. That word cleansing comes up. In the Old Testament, there's all these rituals for cleansing and washing sins away. Jesus did that. That's part of the reality of the cross. The emotional, spiritual, very real spiritual weight of the sins that have been committed against you can be cleansed by that relationship with God. Again, that's the point of Romans 7. Jesus' blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Again, it's going back to having people that you let behind the counter in your life. That verse from 1 John. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, he will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. All right, that's the, that's the whole verse. It's not about doing better and being a better, trying your best and making your best even better. It's not about that. It's about being someone new, being someone who realizes that they're covered by that reality, the blood of Jesus Christ. So I'll close with this because, you know, that song I played at the beginning, Jar of Hearts, was a real place I was at in my relationship with God. And it was a good place because it was real, right? That's a relationship type of song. And I realized that my relationship with God was very real. But over time, in getting close to Him, and meeting with Him, you know, I was challenged to read the Psalms. I had these angst, you know, and this anger towards God, and, and the counselor said, hey, Russ, David had said some of the same stuff. It's, it's in the Bible. He wrote it in music. You should check it out. It's called the Psalms. Read one every day. Read a couple. Take some time in the in the morning when it's quiet to, to meet with God. So I did. I got on my knees, right, as a it was just a, the posture that helped me, you know, be in submission to God. All right, if you're real and you're true, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna meet with you here, you know. And I'd realized that it wasn't me that was chasing God; it was God that was after me. That I didn't choose God; God chose Russ Shaw. And if you're listening to my voice right now, God is after you. I've sent a bunch of you emails. Now, some of you don't get it yet, but Jesus is after you. He's pursuing you. Who am I that God would pursue me? And that was the thing that I really understood over time, that my being angry at God was really just being angry at religion. You know, I mean, these, these lists of do's and don'ts, well, don't expect anything from God if you're a sinner. God's going to, you know, slam the door in your face. That's religion. It's in, it's in Matthew 23. That's the words of Jesus. He's talking to the Pharisees. And he says, 
you know, you slam the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's face. And he says, you don't let them enter in and neither will you. This is very strong language to the religious elites. You know, the cold, you know, people wearing their part of the law that they were keeping. Cold-heartedly hurting others. Man, Jesus was after me. I had hurt others. And man, I pray that, you know, if I've offended any of you with some of my talks on religion, I know there's pastors and worship leaders that listen, and if I've been hard on you, it's, you know, it's because Jesus is, was hard on the Pharisees, but also I, I recognize that I'm religious too, you know. I was telling my friend Jeff about, uh, you know, being sad that there's less tattooed, you know, types at Mars Hill Church where I go in Seattle. There's less of that. Um, I, I pray that you see that. That God is after you. That God loves you and he will continue to pursue you. And that is very, very good news. And I pray instead of, like I talked about in the last show, that in, instead of being Pharaoh and getting angry and freaking out every time, that we would be like Paul on the road to Damascus and actually do what Jesus asks us to do. Open up ourselves to somebody else. Right? Repent of sin. Yes, adhere to a set of steps. But the reason why isn't because you're, you're going to hell if you don't. The reason why is because the gift you've already been given, which is grace. Which is the bloody cross that bought your sin. And even the faith to believe that is a gift. That we would submit like the Apostle Paul did. That we would realize when we've been struck blind and ask, ask him to, right, humbly ask him to remove the, the blinders so we could see. Because that's the good news, is Jesus is after you. Alright, I, I love you guys, man. I've gone long again, ending out the Decalogue with this show. Man, it's been a blast. Looking forward to 2012. You'll hear from me again then. It's a lean season, and, and without you guys, man, this thing wouldn't exist. Not just because I can't afford it, but also because if it's just me talking to myself, I'm not helping anyone. People's words are great, and I've had a lot of great words over the years. And People saying that, you know, uh, kind words for me, and I appreciate that, and I, I do, I love that stuff. But man, when people put their money right the the life energy that comes flowing out of them donating their money to keep this thing going i mean that's that that that's more than words right that's actions put forward and I, and i appreciate you know you guys who donate and if you want to donate to the show asi247.org um, there's a po box there as well and donations man it, it keeps this thing flowing 
I don't want to ever charge a dime for the podcast. It is totally free. But it still costs something, right? That's true. I love you guys. I mean that sincerely. I'm praying for each and every one of you guys. Pray for all the listeners of this show. Uh, my email address is russ at asi247.org. Again, the website is asi247.org. And end the show here with a song by Manford and Sons. I love this tune. It's a bumper from those guys. All of the music, by the way, for the show can be downloaded at the website asi247.org. Click on the music tab and, and all the songs are there to be downloaded, mostly off iTunes. I don't get a dime for that, by the way. Um, there's a few links on Amazon where I've got an affiliate account, but, you know, Amazon, but that's, that's it. That's a text message from my wife as I'm driving home. And, uh, again, love you guys. Here's a bumper for you. Till next time. It's empty in the valley of your heart. The sun, it rises slowly as you walk. Away from all the fears and all the faults you've left behind. The harvest left no food for you to eat. You cannibal, you meat eater, you see. But I've seen the same, I know the shame in your defeat. But I will hold on hope and I won't let you choke on the noose around your neck. And I'll find strength in pain and I will change my ways. I'll know my name as it's cold again. is yours and I'll take mine. Now let me at the truth which will refresh my broken mind. So tie me to a post and